Hey man, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You got some information, thoughts, or views that you want the world to hear? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people like to listen? Man, the big question though was how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of those questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. So best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with a great sponsors too, so you can get paid to podcast. One of the benefits that I really love about doing my podcast with Anchor is the ability to get my podcast on multiple platforms with the click of a button. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm backward slash start. Go to anchor.fm slash start. One more time for the people in the back. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join me in a diverse community of podcasters already using anchor that's anchor.fm slash start i can't wait to hear your podcast till next time yo 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 what's good family it's your boy big l man you are joining episode number three of the Page Turner's Book Club, Book Study, Book Walkthrough. Books this, books that, books here, books there, books everywhere. This will be the podcast, man, where we will take a look at, walk through, examine, and discuss books and other literature from a Black perspective. We are going to continue our book study, man, of Black Theology and Black Power by the great late Dr. James H. Cone, the father and founder of Black Liberation Theology. Like I said, man, this is episode three. I'm excited, man. Uh, Just some house cleaning joints real quick. I just really want to thank everybody, man, for your phenomenal support man the support has been just mind-blowing it's been overwhelming uh as i continue to work out the glitches and get everything formatted and put together in such a manner that it is a smooth podcast man for everyone to listen to uh and to enjoy i would ask you guys to do me a couple of favors though uh now i'm not looking for no money man i'm not looking for you to to, to give anything. Uh, those, the favors that I need have nothing to do with monetary or financial uh, gain. But first off, I ask that you would leave a comment, uh, send me your thoughts, feedback of any kind, uh, something you don't like, something that you didn't enjoy, something that you disagree with. Uh, something that you do agree with, something that you do enjoy, something you would like to see more of. Then the other aspect of it is, man, I'd like for you to share. You don't have to agree to share. 
You know what I mean? You, have to, you don't have to agree with the information to share uh, the information. You can share it, man, and just be like, yo, this is flat out trash. Because the point of these book studies, the point of the page turners is to combat illiteracy within the black collective, number one. Number two is to provide a platform where we can have dialogue about topics from a black perspective that we often don't have in, in many settings. Uh, and just, we really want to create an enjoyable platform. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time each podcast, man. I know folks' time is valuable. Uh, a lot of times folks are listening to these podcasts, man, on their commutes. Uh, so I'm trying to hit you with 30, 40 minutes of, of, of just pure D information, man. I don't have a whole lot of gimmicks. I don't have a whole lot of tricks. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just that's just what your boy Big L gonna get you. I'm gonna give you the truth. Uh, I ain't gonna coddle you. I ain't looking to hold your hand if you're scared. Like the homie X said, <laughs> get a dog, homie. Uh, so again, this is the Page Turners podcast, man. Where it will be books here, books there, books everywhere, kind of like the living room that I'm sitting in. Uh, so. I done gave up enough of the housekeeping, man, and, and I'm going to move on to our current study, our current selection, which happens to be Black Theology and Black Power by Dr. James H. Cohn. This is episode number three. I'm going to dig into the text now. Introduction. Black power is an emotionally charged term which can evoke either angry rejection or passionate acceptance. Some critics reject black power because to them it means blacks hating whites, while others describe it as the doctrine of Booker T. Washington in contemporary form. That's hilarious. Anytime that you currently and this, you know, hear anybody talk about black issues from a uh, unadulterated, no BS type of standpoint, uh, and it's what you want to call quote unquote pro black, the immediate equivalent, which is a false equivalent, of course, would be hating whites. Back to the text. But the advocates of black power held it as only the only viable option for black people. But these persons, black power means black people taking the dominant role in determining the black white relationship in American society. So what Dr. James Cohn right here is he immediately is defining what black power is, which is going to set the stage for the rest of this doggone book, man. And so whenever black power is mentioned, this is the definition. This is a standard. This is what he's referring to. This is what he's discussing. Black power means black people taking the dominant role in determining the black white relationship in American society. That's what black power is. That's the that's it. So when Stokely Carmichael was saying it, that's what he was saying. This is what Dr. James Cone is saying throughout this book. It means black folks taking the, the dominant role in determining the black white relationship in American society. The dominant role. That doesn't mean other non-black people don't take or play a role. It just means that black folks must play the dominant role in determining the black-white relationship in American society. Let me continue. 
If, as I believe, Black power is the most important development in American life in this country, there's a need to begin to analyze it from a theological perspective. In this work, an effort is made to investigate the concept of Black power, placing primary emphasis on the relationship to Christianity, the church, and contemporary American theology. I know that some religionists would consider Black power as the work of the Antichrist. It's going to be folk man who already view Black liberation theology as Antichrist. We know that already, right, fam? <laughs> I do. Others would suggest that such a concept should be tolerated as an expression of Christian love to the misguided Black brother. Tolerated. <laughs> it is my thesis, however, that Black power, even in its most radical expression, is not the antithesis of Christianity, nor is it a heretical idea to be tolerated with painful forbearance. It is rather Christ's central message to the 20th century, 20th century America. Unless the empirical denomination, denominational church makes a determinate effort to recapture the man Jesus through a total identification with the suffering poor as expressed in black power, that church will become exactly what Christ is not. Man, that's, that's, whew. That most churches see an irreconcilable conflict between Christianity and black power is evidenced not only by the de facto segregated structure of their community, but by their typical response to riots. I quote, I deplore the violence, but sympathize with the reasons for the violence. Again, man, this this book right here, we, we see that it still is such a timely, timely, timely piece of literature, man. Timely. It was written in 1969, remember. So when I'm saying that reading a bunch of these quotes, man, and reading a bunch of the stuff in this book, and we go through it, you know, uh, page upon page, line upon line, precept against precept, <laughs> like the church folks say, it sounds very much like 2018. You feel me? Don't it sound like 2018? It sounds like, hmm, not much progress is made. <laughs> Churchmen, laymen, and ministers alike apparently fail to recognize that their contribution to the ghetto condition through permissive silence, except for a few resolutions which they usually pass once a year or immediately following a riot, and through their co-tendency of a dehumanizing social structure whose existence depends on the continued enslavement of black people. If the church is to remain faithful to its Lord, it must make a decisive break with the structure of the society by launching a vehement, vehement, uh, that word right there, boy, I'll get you every time, attack on the evils of racism in all forms. In 1969, Dr. Cohen is saying this, man. If the church really wants to make some headway against white supremacy, the social structure, whose existence depends on the, the continued enslavement of black people, it has to attack white supremacy head on. Now, the question I want to ask you, family, is why hasn't white evangelical Christianity attacked racism? Why hasn't it vehemently attacked racism? 
Think about that. Chew on that for a minute. Ask your white allies. Ask, ask your, you, you, you know, your, your, your black brethren and sisters. Why hasn't white evangelical Christianity, which, why, why haven't they attacked it? Okay. Let me continue with the text. It must become prophetic, demanding a radical change into inter, in the interlocking structures of the society. This work then is written with a defined attitude, the attitude of an angry black man, disgusted with the oppression of black people in America, with the scholarly demand to be objective about it. Too many people have died. Too many people are on the edge of death. In fairness to my understanding of the truth, I cannot allow myself to engage in a dispassionate, non-committed debate on the status of black-white relations in America by assessing the pro and con of black power. The scholarly demand for this kind of objectivity has come to mean being uninvolved or not taking sides. But as Kenneth B. Clark reminds us, moral issues are at stake, non-involvement and non-commitment and the exclusion of feeling are neither sophisticated nor objective, but naive and volatile of the scientific spirit at its best. When human feelings are part of the evidence, they cannot be ignored. Where anger is the appropriate response to exclude the recognition and the acceptance of anger, and even to avoid the feeling itself as if it were an inevitable contamination, is to set boundaries upon truth itself. If a scholar who studied Nazi concentration camps did not feel revolted by the evidence, no one would say he was unobjective, but rather fear for his sanity and moral sensitivity. Feeling may twist judgment, but the lack of it may twist it even more. That's the great Kenneth B. Clark, man. If you ever want to read more of that brother, you can read more. And his great, great classic work, Dark Ghetto. Kenneth B. Clark, Dark Ghetto. Let me continue with the text. The prophets certainly spoke in anger, and there's some evidence that Jesus got angry. Yeah, the turning of the tables, you know what I mean? It seems like he got a little angry in the temple. Yeah, things, yeah, he was a little frustrated. Yeah, I think that's what the text says. It may be that the importance of any study in the area of morality or religion is determined in part by the emotion expressed. It seems that one weakness of most theological works is their coolness in the investigation of an idea. Is it not time for theologians to get upset? Man, that is true. Even when certain horrendous evil topics are discussed, most of the theologians come across as having just this, uh, this great level head. You know, everything is just, you know, uh, here's the information. If there's no passion behind it, there's no like, rah, this is crazy. This is not right. This, this, you don't find any of that, man. And that's missing. Back to the text. To say that this book was written in anger and disgust without denying a certain dark joy is to suggest that it is not chiefly written chiefly for black people. At least it is no handbook or collection of helpful hints on conducting a revolution. No one can advise another on when or how to die. No one can advise another on when or how to die. No one can advise another on when or how to die. 
This is a word to the oppressor, a word to Whitey, not in the hope that he will listen at the king's death. Who can hope? But in expectation that my own existence will be clarified. If in this process of speaking for myself, I should happen to touch the souls of black brothers, including black men in white skins, so much the better. I believe that all aspiring black intellectuals share the task that Leroy Jones has described for the black artists in America to aid in the destruction of America as he knows it. His role was to report and reflect so precisely the nature of the society that other men will be moved by the exactness of his rendering. And if they are black men, grow strong and through this moving, having seen their own strength and weakness, if they are white men, tremble, curse, go mad, because they will be drenched with the filth of their evil. I am critical of white America because this is my country. And what is mine must not be spared my emotional intellectual scrutiny. Although my motive for writing was not, did not dare to be dependent upon the response of white people, I do not rule out the possibility of creative changes, even in the lives of the oppressors. It is illegitimate to sit in judgment on another man, deciding he how he will or must respond. That is another form of oppression. I'm going to read that last part again because that's kind of... Uh, Oof. That's good. That's good right there. That's good. I do not rule out the possibility of creative changes, even in the lives of the oppressors. It is illegitimate to sit in judgment on another man deciding how he will or must respond. That is another form of oppression. Man. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the introduction of Black Theology and Black Power by Dr. James H. Cone. Let us proceed to chapter one. Chapter one, toward a construction, constructive definition of black power. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing in the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. This struggle, struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but there must be struggle. Frederick Douglass. Man, when I first heard that Frederick Douglass quote, it was probably back in, whew, I want to say 1999. I first heard the struggle, I mean, the, the quote, but I only heard the first sentence. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. And that quote struck a chord because it lined up perfectly with my life, that my life has been riddled with, with struggle and, and struggle and tragedy and then most tragedy and then most struggle. And then like tragedy and, and, and struggles was best friends and they was trying to get me to be their friend also. So they always showed up unexpectedly. But I had made so much progress because I was able to overcome by the grace of God and the assistance and perseverance of, of family and friends to get me through certain situations that I made progress. So I ended up, that was my first tattoo. My first tattoo was on one arm, the forearm, it says no struggle. 
and on the other forearm, it says no progress. So it's fitting that that, that quote is sitting here, man. Um, back to the text. What is black power? There has been and still is much debate among critics of black power regarding the precise meaning of the words. The term black power was first used in the civil rights movement in the spring of 1966 by Stokely Carmichael to designate the only appropriate response to white racism. Since that time, many critics have observed that there is no common agreement regarding his definition. In one sense, this fact is not surprising since every new phenomenon passes through stages of development and the advocates of black power need time to define it in its many implications. And it's funny because, you again, you see that same thing taking place today. Black power, I won't say the equivalent in terms of black power, uh, is woke, but you see how woke has taken and become uh, defined in so many different ways that there is no common agreement regarding its definition currently. In one sense, this fact is not surprising since every new phenomenon passes through stages of development, and we see woke passing through different stages of development. Uh, now, sadly, when that term is used, it, it, it can mean anything from one having a sense in quote-unquote knowledge of self to someone who has read a book or two on uh, quote-unquote white supremacy now can, you know, uh, surface level give you information about uh, particular issues that are facing black America. It's crazy. But you see it, and we see it time and time again. But in another sense, this criticism is surprising since every literate person knows that imprecision, the inability of a word to describe accurately the object of reality to which it points, is characteristic of all language. The complexity of the problem is evident in the development of modern analytical philosophy. We are still in the process of defining such terms as democracy, good, evil, and many others. In fact, the ability to probe for deep meanings of words as they relate to various manifestations of reality is what makes the intellectual pursuit interesting and worthwhile. But if communication is not to reach an impasse, there must be agreement on the general shape of the object to which a term points. Meaningful dialogue is possible because of a man's ability to use words as symbols for the real. Without this, communication ceases to exist. For example, theologians and political scientists may disagree on what they would consider fine points regarding the precise meaning of Christianity and democracy, but there is an underlying agreement regarding their references. The same is true of the words black power. To what object does it point? What does it mean when used by the advocates? It means complete emancipation of black people from white oppression by whatever means black people deem necessary. What does it mean when used by its advocates? It means complete emancipation by black people from white oppression by whatever means black people deem necessary. And I had to read it again because it's important to get that down to, to grasp that man to chew on it it means complete emancipation by whatever means 
The methods may include selective buying, buying black, boycotting, marching, or even rebellion. Black power means black freedom, black self-determination, wherein black people no longer view themselves as without human dignity, but as men, human beings with the ability to carve out their own destiny. In short, as Stokely Carmichael would say, black power means TCB, take care of business. Black folk taking care of black folks' business, not on the terms of the oppressor, but on those of the oppressed. We spend so much time, family, so much doggone time, trying to convince, shame, beg, uh, plead, protest, uh, boycott, whatever your case may be, whites to bend to our will to do the things that that we want to do. We do it all the time. We do it all of the time, man. And if we're going to be honest, it has not worked for us. Now, I think the question has to become from 1969, and we're just going to use 1969 from the book to now, with all those things that we have done, with all those things that we have tried to do in order to get out from underneath the oppressive nature of systematic racism, also known as, should be known as, white supremacy. Why hasn't there been a break? Why hasn't there been a lift in the oppression? First off, I think one of the great mistakes that we have made as a people is our search and quest for the myth of equality. Yeah, man, equality is a myth. It's unrealistic. It does not exist. And, and let's be honest, in order for us black people to get equality, you're going to get equality one of two ways. Okay? You're going to get equality by either black folks uniting and pooling all their resources, time, and let's be churchy, time, talent, and resources together and build a sustainable socioeconomic infrastructure. But the reality of it is black folks are so behind and so at the bottom of so many categories, that approach, sadly, is not realistic. I won't say it's not achievable. I'm just saying it's not realistic. But an even more unrealistic approach is expecting people who are in power to give up portions of that power to people who don't have as much power in order to make the people who don't have as much power equal to those who have the power. Never in a time in history, never in a time in history have you ever seen people who are in power give up some of their power to the powerless to make everybody equal from a power standpoint. Never have you seen that. Never. 
Never have you seen that take place. But yet and still, so many of us are striving, sweating, bleeding, dying, sacrificing in an attempt to get just that, man. To get just that. It's heartbreaking. Back to the text. Black power is analog, analogous to Albert Camus' understanding of the rebel. The rebel says no, and yes, he says no to conditions considered intolerable, and yes to that something within him which is worthwhile, which must be taken into consideration. To say no means that the oppressor has overstepped his bounds and that there is a limit beyond which he shall not go. It means that oppression can be endured no longer in the style that the oppressor takes for granted. To say no is to reject categorically the humiliating orders of the master, and by so doing to affirm that something which is placed above everything else, including life itself. To say no means that death is preferable to life. If the latter is devoid of freedom, better to die on one's feet than to live on one's knees. This is what black power means. This is what black power means. Better to die on one's feet than to live on one's knees. This is what black power means. Family, that concludes our book study for the night. That concludes our book study for the night, man. Man. Some powerful stuff, man. And we're just in the introduction. We're just in the introduction of this book, man. And it's hard to to read it and not get fired up. It's hard not to read it and and get passionate about it. It's, It's hard not to. It's hard not to, 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 to show how things are very much the same as they used to be. Again, man, this is your boy Big L with the Page Turners Book Club getting it done. Books here, books there, books everywhere. Books in you, books with you, books be you. Let's get it cracking, man. Let's get it popping. Let's continue. I ask again, family, that you would leave your criticisms, your complaints, your, 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 your negative comments, whatever. You can find your boy on Twitter at Elgin Bailey. You can find me on Facebook, Elgin Bailey. You can find your boy everywhere, man. I'm everywhere. Um, let's have a discussion, man. Let's let's talk about it. And again, please subscribe to this podcast, man, so you're constantly notified when new episodes is being put up. I'm constantly putting up episodes, man. I'm trying to put, you know, episodes up. Four or five times a week. Let's get it popping, man. Let's get this information out there. Let's let's get make changes, man. Let's be the change that we are constantly searching for. Again, bro, 
You're listening to The Page Turners. This was episode three of Black Theology and Black Power by Dr. James H. Cone. Y'all have a good one, man. I'm out.